me, I brought the scales back out as we end this series today. So I am well aware that the scales exist in my life. <clears throat> I am aware of this. I've got a good Harley over here, and I have a bad Harley over here. I have types. I don't know if you have types. I'm guessing you probably have types as well. I've got the type nice over here, and I've got my type A over here. I've got types. So let me give you some scenarios of my types. When you try your best and you work hard, I become your biggest, ugliest cheerleader that you have. I'm over here. That's my cheerleader type right here. And I'm your cheerleader. But if you park in the parking lot right on your line and I can't get in my door, I have another type. It's the type that's the idiot detector over here. It's not a very good type. I'm not proud of that type. When I feel good and things are going great, I have the Christian type over here. It's a good type. It's a good type. But if, uh, if people are driving the wrong direction in the Walmart parking lot, and you're, they're all supposed to be going this way, and you're going this way, I've got another type. I've got a type for that. It's still a Christian type, but it's the type of Christian that makes people run away from Jesus. It's not a good type. Not a good type. I'm usually kind of a nice pastor kind of guy. That's a good type over here. But then, you know, if you say something mean to my kids, oh, I got a parent type over here. It's not so nice. Now, when I drive by my friends, if I'm trying to pay attention, if I am paying attention, which I don't when I drive a lot, I know I've got a nice, I'll see my friends and I'll wave to them. It's a pretty nice type over here. But if I'm commuting to work and there's nobody behind me and someone instead chooses to pull out right in front of me, right, I mean, right in front of me, and then they don't speed up and they just putter along right there in front of me. I got a wave for them too. It's not a very nice wave. It only uses one finger so the others get a break. I, it's, and I, but you know, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I don't do that anymore much. I, <laughs> no, you know, I am well aware that I have the scales in my life. I've got the good side and I've got the evil side in my life. And I believe that there's probably something inside of you that says the same thing. It tells you, it confirms that you have the scales in your life as well. And in fact, I think we can probably say that it confirms it for us that we know that, that everyone in existence has the scales for themselves. We can't get away from the scales. They are looming. They are hanging over us. And we know it's a problem in our lives and in the culture because our culture tells us this. Okay, well, you have the scales. Just do more. Just tip the scales in your favor. Just put more in here than what you have over here. So if you do something wrong, then do some extra good here to make up for it. Tip the scales in your favor. But there is a problem with that. Because while that 
sounds good and it sounds like a reasonable solution. The problem is God says that's not a solution at all. It does not work with the scales. It may work to make us feel better, but it does not work to solve the problem of the scales. And here's why. Because with the scales, the problem is not that we have to have more in this side than we have on this side. Here's the problem with the scales that God points out to us. The problem is this, we can have nothing on this side. Nothing on the side of evil, nothing on the side of sin, nothing on the side of selfishness, nothing on the side. And we can't even think about those things. It has to be empty. That's the problem. Not that we have to tip the scale in our favor. This side has to be completely empty. It has to be sinless no sin. Why? Because God said, I want you, speaking of us, I want you to be holy as I am holy. And that means that side can have no sin. That's the problem. So let's talk for just a moment about this God who has decided this. The Bible tells us that God knows all. God knows everything. He cannot learn. He already knows. The Bible tells us that God has all power. And the Bible tells us that God is ever present. And the Bible tells us God does not change. And it is this God who decided to create this world and decided to place people to create people on this world. Now, because God is all knowing, he cannot learn. He already knew what was going to happen, that his creation would reject him. He already knew that. So from the very beginning, I present to you this. God already knew his redemption plan, how he was going to redeem, buy back, take back his creation. He already knew it before he created. Interesting. So this God who created, let's kind of go over the history of this. So God created, it's going to be on the screen for you. And it starts with with this whole thing of, of starting with the first man there, Adam. Adam had one rule, Adam and Eve, guess what happened? They blew it. So we put a big X on them because they blew it. From that moment, before Adam, as Adam arrived on the scene... <laughs> There was nothing in the sin side at all. It was empty, just as God had decided and wanted it. It was empty, and they had only investments over here on this side. As soon as Adam sinned, this side was forever tilted this way. We may think that we tilt the scales with good. The reality is we can never tilt the scale to our favor ever, never, ever. Since Adam, it has been been tilted against us. That's the way it's been. If you've missed the last series, please go back and check that out. We talked a lot about that. Now, that was Adam and Eve. God knew it was coming though, didn't he? He already knew. Let's see. So uh, nine generations after Adam, we have uh, this covenant. We didn't talk about this covenant. It was with Noah. God, God started over with Noah. 
about 10 generations after Noah, we have a guy that comes on the scene where we really begin to see this redemption story, this plan of redemption to really begin and, and pick up steam here with this man named Abraham. That's his name. And God made a covenant with Abraham. He said, Abraham, you're going to be a great nation, which was a problem because he was about 75 years old when God made the promise and he had no kids. So he had some work to do. And he said, I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to give you a piece of real estate, a large piece of real estate. Well, I mean, on the world scale, it's small, but I'm going to give you a piece of real estate. This is going to be where your nation will be. And all of that did happen. And it was quite amazing. And this covenant that he made with Abraham leads us to the next covenant he made because uh, he did have this nation. I want to say this was about nine generations after uh, Abraham uh, we run into uh, this other guy, six generations, I'm sorry, and his name is Moses. Six generations after Abraham is Moses. And now this newly forming nation that God had promised would come from Abraham is there with Moses. And God makes a deal. He says, all right, guys, let's make a deal. They make a deal. God says, you follow me, follow my commands, follow me, and I will protect you. He said, you make all your investments over here. Follow me, follow me, and I will be your God. You'll be my people. I will protect you. But if you start making investments over here, then, you know, as this happens, you're going to break the covenant that they're making. You're going to break this covenant, and I'm going to let you kind of be destroyed. I'm going to let you be punished if you do that. God already knew how that would turn out. He knew that they would break the covenant. He gave them the scales. Officially, the scales were launched with that covenant. He gave them the scales knowing that they were going to fail, and they did. He knew that. And that leads us through a series of kings. So uh, the, the first king that God had planned for Israel, he was actually the second king, the one that God had planned, his name was David. And God said, David, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to allow your bloodline to sit on the throne for eternity. And well, that's pretty significant, right? And here's what God was saying. I'm promising that the Messiah is going to come through your bloodline David. He made a covenant with David, and guess what happened? Well, that's what happened. Jesus came through the bloodline of David, and this whole thing of, of, of Jesus showing up on the scene, this was all planned from the very beginning of time, from Adam all the way through. It was all about leading toward Jesus, and all of history points to this moment when Jesus would walk on the scene, and in that moment, everything changed. Everything changed. God himself showing up here on earth, putting on the flesh and blood and, and being Jesus. He takes the old covenant of the scales and Jesus presents us with a new covenant. And in that moment, all of history led to that moment. And in that moment, everything changed. We're going to be talking about that here. Listen to how God let them know. This was just one of many places where he said, listen, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to take the old covenant. It was just there to show you you couldn't do it. 
I'm going to take the old covenant of the scales and I'm going to replace it with a new covenant. Here's one of the places where he talks about that, Jeremiah chapter 31. We're going to begin with verse 31 as well. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. Verse 32. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them out of the land and brought them out of the land of Egypt. That's when he gave them the Ten Commandments and the law, all of the laws, about 600, over 600 of them. And he, so he gave them the scales. He said, uh, no, 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 it's not going to be like They broke that covenant. God knew it would happen. They broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord, verse 33. But this new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Verse 34 goes on to say this, and I will forgive their wickedness and never again remember their sins. In this moment, all of history led to this very moment that this is talking about. And when it happened, everything changed. So this new covenant that God is talking about, the old covenant was the scales and this new covenant, this new covenant was a pledge. God's saying, I pledge, I'm going to forgive your sins. And I'm going to take my words and my instructions and place them on your hearts. I will be your God forever. You will be my people. Those who submit to this new covenant, this new contract. And see, God is speaking here. It's not a mere possibility. He's not saying, oh, this is a good idea. This would be a great idea. Why don't we do this? Maybe we'll do this. Perhaps this might be good. Let's think about it. Maybe. No, no. This was something he was in the process of doing from the very beginning of time. This is the plan, his purpose. And it is something that he is accomplishing. Now, this new covenant, those who accept it, he says, I will be your God forever. Now, like the covenant that he made with Abraham, if you missed that, that was week number one, we talked about that. With that covenant with Abraham and this covenant, it is God who does all the work. All we have to do is say, yes, I agree. Sign me up, include me in this new covenant. And God is the one who does all the work. It's him, it's him, it's his work that he does. Those who submit to that covenant, God says, I'm going to forgive you of your sins. I'm not going to hold those against you any longer. He says, I'm going to write my words on your heart, not on these tablets of stone like I did with the last guys. It's going to be on your very hearts. And God told us this. We just read it in the book of Jeremiah, and he told us in other places too, but he told us this centuries before it actually happened. And then it did actually happen, just as God told us from the descendants of Abraham, the nation of Israel, from the royal family of, da uh, of David, Jesus arrives. God himself, who put on the flesh of man and the bone of man, he became his own creation. Jesus, God, meets the requirements of the law. Now, what were the requirements? Follow the law, no sin. Jesus met the full requirements of the law, and he was our sinless sacrifice. And then Jesus 
does this amazing thing. He talks about this new covenant and makes it available. Listen to what he says to his disciples gathered with him in a room just hours before he would be arrested and go to the cross. Matthew chapter 26, verse 27. Here's what Jesus, Jesus did here. Verse 27, and he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, his disciples. And he said, each of you drink from it. Now this is where it gets turned into a covenant here. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant. Now, how did God confirm these other covenants we talked about? He confirmed them with blood. He confirmed them with death. He confirmed them with sacrifice. Jesus said, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. This is a new covenant he's doing. He's doing away with the old, and here's the new. He says, it is poured out, talking about his blood, poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And just hours from the time he said this, his blood would be poured out of his body until it was empty, until he died. And all of history <laughs> led to this moment, and everything changed. Here's something that changed. Two world problems changed in this moment. Two problems that separate God's creation and people from God. Here's the first one. The first problem that this solved was the problem of guilt. Because we all, since Adam, have had the presence of sin in our lives. And we feel guilt. Why, why do I feel so guilty? Here's why. Because I'm guilty. That's why we have guilt. And Jesus dying on the cross solved that first problem because the Bible says he took all of that guilt that is due me and it is yours and it is mine. He took all of that guilt for those who submit themselves to this contract, to this new covenant. He said, that guilt, I take it upon myself. I take that guilt for you. Jesus solved that by shedding his blood for us. He solved the guilt. There's a second problem. Because even when I chose to become a follower of Jesus, I am a follower of Jesus, but I still rebel against God. You see, I have this rebellion problem. We all do. We have a tendency to run away from God and the plan that he has for our lives. We have a tendency to run to the destructive suggestions of the world around us. That's where we run. And God knows that I have that tendency. He knows you have that tendency that even when we choose to submit our lives to God and allow that guilt to be placed on Jesus where he paid that for us, we still have the tendency, this side of heaven, to rebel against God. I continue to this day to place sin inside of this scale because I am sinful and I am guilty. And God knew I would have a tendency to rebel. So here's the beauty of this. Amazing. He did not write this new contract on paper because he knew that I could crumble it up. I could leave it at home. I, I could burn it. I could try to get rid of it. I could tear it up. He didn't write it on stone tablets like he did with the Israelites. 
Because we could put them inside a box and forget about them. We could decide not to do it. We could decide not to follow. He didn't. He, he, he didn't. He knew I had a tendency to rebel. So this time he said, I am permanently going to tattoo my, uh, my instructions, my call to you, this covenant. I'm going to tattoo it onto your spiritual heart. And it is there forever. When you submit to me, God solved the problem of my rebellion by saying, I'm going to put it there inside your heart and it is permanent. You can't leave it at home. You can't walk away from it. When you submit to me, you are forever my people and I am forever your God. Wow. What an amazing, amazing thing God has done for us. With this new covenant, he takes my guilt upon himself. And I am his forever. You see, all of history led to this moment. And everything changed. Listen to how the writer of the book of Hebrews describes this new covenant. And he uses a lot of Jewish descriptions here because he's speaking in this letter to Jewish people. It's in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11, but listen to how everything changed. Uh, Chapter 9 verse 11, so Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. So he says, God is saying here in this moment, because all of history led to this moment and everything changed. Listen to this change. He said, I am doing away with the high priest. No longer do you have to have a high priest intercede between you and between God. No longer. You now go straight to the high priest, Jesus, God himself. I'm doing away with the high priest. Everything changed. And he goes on to say, he, speaking of Jesus, has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven. So now he's talking about the place where they worshiped, which was not made by human hands. In other words, you didn't build this. This is God's thing here. It is not part of this created world. And you know what he's saying? Because all of history has led to this moment and everything changed. Now their entire worship system is changed. No longer do they need a physical temple, a physical tabernacle, a place, a geographic place to go. No longer. Now, Christ himself is their center of worship. He is the place. He is the tent. He is the tabernacle. He is the temple where we all meet God. Everything changed. Verse 12, speaking of Jesus, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Verse 13, under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse the people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. In other words, because when Jesus arrived, all of history led to this very moment and everything changed. No longer were they going to be doing sacrifices. 
the, the sacrificial system was going to end with Jesus. The blood sacrifices ended with the blood of Jesus. Because the, the writer is saying all of these sacrifices pointed to what Jesus was going to be doing. You had to do those over and over again. Jesus was going to do it perfectly, do it once. Verse 14, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. And he is living because he didn't stay dead. He rose again. Verse, and it goes on. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect. Why was it perfect? Because there was not just more good than bad in Jesus' life. There was no sin at all. No presence of sin at all in his life. So it says that he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Verse 15. And that is why he is the one now who mediates a new covenant. This was the old, but now we have a new covenant between God and people. People, that's us. So that all who are called... Pay attention to that. All who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God promised them. All of history led to this moment and everything changed. So who is called? Who are among the called? Paul gives us a clue in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, when he says, speaking of God, he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. The writer of Hebrews goes on, for Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. Verse 24. He, Jesus, entered into heaven itself to appear before God on our behalf, verse 25. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. He says this was not something Jesus has to do over and over, verse 26. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the beginning of the world. But now, once... For all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. My friends, all of history led to this moment and everything changed. Verse 27. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment... So also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. And then it says he will come again not to deal with our sins. Why, why not to deal with our sins? Well, the answer is because he dealt with those on the cross. But the second time, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. And the only way that we can end today, the only way that we can end this teaching today is this. Let us 
worship the wonder of Christ who has unleashed these massive, amazing changes throughout the world. Because all of history led to this moment and everything changed. So, we must ask ourselves, what have we done with Jesus? We must make it personal. What have I done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? And I very clearly just want to say, if you have not yet said to Jesus that you want to be a part of this new covenant, my hope is that you'll do that today. That you will say, God, what you did on the cross for me, when you died on the cross and your blood was shed, you paid a price for sin. I want my life, my sin counted among that. And because you died for me, you made a purchase on that cross, your life for my life. So Jesus, I submit my life to you. I give it to you so that I can be a part of this new covenant. I don't want the old covenant. I want your new covenant written upon my very heart that says, I am yours forever. You are my God forever. I choose you. If you've never done that, I ask you this morning, will you, this very moment, have a conversation with God in your heart that says, it just expresses that, Jesus, when you died on the cross, you died for me. And you made a purchase. You purchased my life, which I now willingly give to you. I want to be a part of your new covenant that you've offered and that you hold forever. If you mean that, will you tell him that right now? That's my hope for you if you have not yet. Now, some of us this morning, some of us have already submitted our lives to that new covenant. But here's my question for you as the band is making their way to the front. If you have accepted this new covenant, what are you doing with Jesus? Because he clearly says his desire for you is that you would eagerly be waiting for him. And we have such a tendency because he didn't come last year and he didn't come last month and Jesus didn't come last week and he didn't come last night. We begin to think, well, he's probably not coming tomorrow. And we stop waiting for Jesus. My question for you is simply, how are you waiting for Jesus? And will you have that conversation with him this week? He's ready to bring salvation to those who are eagerly waiting on him. God knew that we would have a tendency to continue to rebel. And my hope is that today your heart is being drawn back toward God and his path. Let's pray.
God, your word tells us to think about how much more your blood, the blood of Christ, can purify our minds and our consciences from our sinful deeds so that we will be in a place where we can worship the living God. And it is the power of your spirit that brought Christ here and put on this flesh and blood on God himself so that you could be our perfect sacrifice for our sins. And your word tells us that you died to set us free from the penalty of sin. And now, to all of those who choose to submit to your new covenant, you made an offer as you were standing there among your disciples. You said, each of you drink from this cup, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. And it is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And God, when you forgive my wickedness and my sins, you tell me that you will not remember it again. You will not hold that against me anymore. And God, for this, we are so very grateful. And in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Messiah, we pray. Amen.